Amen. You can bring the house lights up to have any a chance. Praise God. We're just grateful, uh, grateful that you're here and grateful what Jesus is doing in you. Uh, we're thankful that he absolutely does deliver us from sin. And sin for, is forms of uh, idolatry in all of its facets, whether it's drugs, whether it's greed, whether it's lust, whether it's, does not matter how it manifests itself. Uh, but sin can be killed only through one Savior and one King alone, that's Jesus. And so we're thankful that he's doing that in your lives. So I just encourage you guys, if, if you have a time afterwards, we're going to be uh, providing them lunch in the classroom. want to make sure we love you, but lunch isn't for you, okay? Just want to make sure you know that. Uh, last year we did this, and all you guys were like starving, and you sort of started grabbing the food. They didn't get any. So listen, uh, stop it, okay? And they're going to eat. You're going to watch, okay? Uh, we're going to serve them well, okay? So uh, and let them enjoy the food, and you enjoy conversation with them. Uh, we're just grateful uh, and stop by their table after service as well. Uh, Burden kids, if you guys are still in there, you guys can head out back. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes, just going to run through uh, eight verses. Before we get into those eight verses, I want to give you two things that I think will uh, deeply encourage you. Uh, I want to update you on two things. One is we talked uh, two weeks ago. We prayed for Pastor Wilson. A lot of you guys got the email. Uh, he's uh, one of our supporters that we, uh, church planners that we support in Haiti, who is doing a phenomenal work there, pastor and planter, and we thought looked like... Um, uh, Harvey was going to come, or Irma, I can't even keep track anymore, uh, across his place. They were hunkering down in a cement-roofed school, uh, spoke to him, praise God, we asked it to move. It did, and actually did not even touch them near where we thought. So, yeah, so... Um, it pleased God to answer that prayer and to turn it. We asked him to turn it and move it away from where they were. So he's now aggressively trying to help other people in the surrounding areas, taking food and supplies. So continue to pray for him. Uh, they just can't catch a break there. Uh, we've been saying about Haiti, if you know anything about that place, it just is rinse and repeat over and over. Damage, destruction, rebuild, damage, destruction, rebuild. Um, so that's encouraging to know that God was, was kind that way. The other is we uh, took up an offering last Sunday um, from you guys to uh, help support a lot of our sister churches in Acts 29 network that are in Houston who lost gathering spaces, pastors who lost homes and belongings, and as they're doing uh, gospel-centered ministry, as they're trying to put uh, a face of the gospel on display to people in need, um, we wanted to raise and give towards that in particular, and I'm just thrilled at how just crazy generous you guys are um, to let you know that literally within like two or three days, we raised $13,500 uh, that you guys gave, so... Um, Praise God. We're just going to ratchet that up to 20 and give them $20,000 to um, bless the heck out of Houston and uh, go towards the local churches and specifically that are in our network to actually help them rebuild and help them minister to the, the surrounding neighbors and cities. And uh, listen, for a church that's just uh, continue to grow, a church of 300 some now and of mostly young people, that is so encouraging because generosity is a mark of discipleship. Um, how we use our gifts, talents, and treasures is really a mark as to how we see our life and see God's movement in this life. So um, I pray that you guys are deeply encouraged at uh, the way our church is demonstrating faithfulness in a lot of areas, but in this one in particular. Um, just as I was talking to uh, different people about what they were able to give and provide, I can tell you uh, we, we hit it out of the park uh, in comparison. So I don't say that to boast. I say that to encourage you in the Lord. Uh, that God's at work in your hearts, and that's demonstrated through your generosity. So um, Ecclesiastes 12, we're going we're gonna to get there. Let's pray, ask God to speak. Father, thank you that we have time in your word to sit under your word. Thank you that you are not silent, and thank you that you have given us your word to come under it and to learn about a king and a God and a savior that ransoms and redeems sinners. 
God, thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, is the center of our life and the center of the universe, the center of um, our gathering. So would we see more of Jesus Christ this morning? Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for you ordaining it to be and giving it to us for life, for fullness of life. Teach us, encourage us, illuminate us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So here's what Solomon's doing. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dive right in. Eight verses, finish the back uh, four or five next week. Then we'll be finished Ecclesiastes, and then really getting into kind of the things that mark us as convictions for about eight weeks. Uh, we're going to go walk through the gospel um, and all the different facets of the good gospel that we're saved by, talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, discipleship, mission, uh, and then we'll hit something new in December. So two more weeks in Ecclesiastes. Here's what basically Solomon is going to do. He's going to end his uh, kind of memoir here, the same way he started his thesis, and that's okay. Now, if, if life is vanity apart from God over the Son, and you realize that God has revealed himself in the face of Jesus Christ, chase him at all costs. Grab hold of him. The Christian life is not a life of, 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 uh, of stagnant complacency. It's an always press, pressing forward offensive movement. And what, by offensive, I mean we're not on the defense, right? The, the church of Jesus Christ doesn't stand still. It actually moves into dark places, into places where it needs to have the light of Christ, and it preaches and shares and lives that, right? So we don't, we don't wait for people to come to us. We don't wait for culture to change. We don't wait for government to fix itself. We, those promises are never for us. The promise is the gates of hell will never prevail against my church. So we're going to advance into darkness and see God do a radical work, right? So that's who we are as the people of God. And so Solomon's showing us if you appeal to this, if you realize this, then it would be rational for you if you remember your creator and you believe in who he is and you see the son of God he sent for you not to stand still. Like that'd be the only rational thing to do to not just submit your life to him but then walk according to him. And so here he's gonna do two things. Today it is remember who he is and what he's said and done. And then next week it's remember what he's commanded us because that leads us to fullness of life. So uh, here he's gonna say, the key, the solution to unlocking the vanity of life is done by remembering your creator. So he's basically said, I'm wrapping up this whole philosophy of giving. Go ahead and try to figure out what life is about. Go ahead, I dare you. Because in the end, if you don't assess your life honestly in light of eternity, you're gonna be miserable. And so here's what he says in verse one. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Uh, Solomon has been teaching us, right, to celebrate the joys of life at any age. Uh, young, old, middle. Uh, he's been showing us the, the seriousness of life, the brevity of life. And here he's also talking about the honesty that comes with growing older. Uh, we we'll just add age increases. He's just, it's natural for Solomon now as he has grown older and wiser to share to the young people, I always say under 40, and then we're all in that camp though, but predominantly us, that as you grow older, as your body changes, as your body gets frail, it should cause you to remember him more, to chase after him harder. Not to grow in stagnant walk, but to grow in an ever-progressing walk. So notice he says the initial aging process is called evil according to the scripture, right? This was never the plan of God. Death was never the plan of God. Sin brought death into the world. So Solomon's writing us as an older man, right, to those of us that are, that are viewing life, we're still alive, we're still given breath, we're still given a life to live and give for his glory. And here as he's writing this, it's, he's kind of got this rather humorous explanation, you'll see, um, as to the serious disadvantages of growing old. Um, now, he doesn't say this to offend anyone. He just says this to be honest. 
And he says this as a plea to get serious with God now. So basically, here's what he's saying to those of us who are young and really old, but predominantly those of us who are young. He's basically saying, hey, um, take care of your stuff now because as you get older, it's gonna be harder to. Like, chase him now while you're alive. Chase him now while you have teeth. Chase him now while you have energy. Chase him now while you are thinking in the clearest way possible. Chase him now while you're promised life today. That's what he's getting at for us. And he says, because there will come a day where you're going to wish you might not even be living anymore. Most of us can't conceive of that. So he's going to give us an analogy, right? Our bodies are like cars. They need regular maintenance, good fuel. But over time, they're eventually going to break down inevitably, right? So you can fuel it. You can eat organic. You can do all your classes. You can do everything you want your whole life. But eventually, death is hard charging 100%. Right, so that's a statistic that you don't need to check out. Hmm, I wonder though. I wonder if it's still 100%. Yeah, it's still 100% since the fall of man in Genesis 3. So we're all wrapped into that. Christ offers eternal life, right? The living God. So he's continuing to point our eyes there. But if you spend time with older, wiser people, they will share with you about their aging soul. They'll share with you those things, right? Those of us have grandparents, right? Every time I was with my grandparents, they used to share how they can't see as clearly and how parts of their body ache now. And that's just the normal process of life. So he says, now is the time to remember your creator. Verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Um, He says, remember God now what he did in Jesus Christ, right? We talked about not having the Holy Spirit at our bidding, and he uses these metaphors. The next seven verses are just metaphorical, giving you this illustration, this illustrative of growing old, this natural aging process. He goes, remember God now. Remember what Christ has done now. He says, before the sun and light and moon and stars are darkened. He's giving this kind of illustration of when you're younger, you're kind of living in seasons, and it's always kind of spring to summertime, right? Life's alive. You feel good. You're eating well, doesn't even matter if you eat junk, you're still good because you're working out and doing things. And then as as you grow older, it becomes more like fall into winter where age creeps over you and darkness caves in and death is more imminent. It's just, man, remember your creator now. Don't busy yourself to where you miss where you came from and where you're headed to. Solomon says, as this process grows, the mind begins to fade. It might not be as sharp as it used to be, right? As you get older, you just forget things, right? Some of you guys are like, man, I'm 16, I forget things. But as we get older, we just don't have maybe as sharp of a mind as we like to have wished we had once before. It's incredible as he gives these illustrations. He's saying, as you came into the world, you leave the world. That's what he says about this clouds returning after the rain. Right? All of us, when we were born out of the birth canal, all of us came out pretty much eating, sleeping, going to the bathroom. Right, all of us did, right? Whether you wanted to or not, it's what you did. And you know what? All of us eventually are going to do just that. If Christ doesn't take us home before then, we might be in a position where we're just doing the same. So he's showing us this circular way of life that he's been repeating throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, showing you if if that's all there is to life and you're born and then you die, you come from nowhere and you're headed to nowhere, then your life means nothing. The good news is that there's a God who made you and who you're headed towards in the face of Jesus Christ. So your life is now profoundly meaningful. And he's wrapping it all up here, reminding us of that. Verse 3, remember your creator in the day when the keepers of your house tremble before the strong men are bent. 
and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the streets are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and the one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. He goes, remember God now before your body starts to betray you. Like, if you think clearly, see clearly, hear clearly, I don't mean literally, but figuratively, if you hear the call of God in your life, what he's asked of you, he just said that for two chapters, chase him now with all your might. Man, do it before you lose your teeth, before your hair gets gray, before you, that's what he's laying out for us here. He says, man, before you're hunched over, as you get older, right, your body starts to bend. My wife already gets on me about my posture, Right? And I'm in in the early 30s. It's like, man, this this stuff starts to happen to you over time. Man, make sure that you're aware of your frailty, aware of your humanity, and take God seriously now and his gospel seriously now. And the sin that we talked about last week, man, put it to death through the weapons of the gospel, help of his spirit, because you don't know when you're going to be gone or what your body's going to be next year. He's continuing to get serious with us, right? That's why he says in this, and the grinders cease because they're few, right? Caramel apples, caramel apples and gobstoppers aren't your diet anymore, right? As you get older. Simple tasks become more difficult. He says that the doors on the street are shut. Your eyesight starts to dim. Um, you know, just like your car, right? Gets a lot of miles. Your oil starts to leak eventually. And then he says, when you're young, you tend to sleep long But as you get older, the sound of the bird just wakes you up. You find it harder to sleep. You find that? Go to bed very early, wake up very early, and you wake up a lot in between. The smallest noise. Verse 5, remember your creator before you're afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Um, Young men in particular, young men I'd say and women, um, uh, in particular I think this is uh, pretty normal. Um, We don't worry too much about our sleep, right? I mean every time I talk to you guys who are in your youth, I was up till three in the morning doing this, went to bed, slept till noon, showed up late to my job. Parents are angry. Of course they are. You're a moron. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, you just kind of live this life where you think you rule the world, you own the world, you do what you want. And he's going, man, that's, this is the irony of growing older, right? We start out young and think I can just go to bed whenever I want, sleep doesn't really matter, I can do all this, I can show up late, I don't take responsibility seriously, He's showing us the silliness of not realizing what we have before us and what God has asked of us. And so sometimes we just do dangerous, foolish, reckless things. But as you get older, doesn't going out become a little more scary? You can't run away so quickly? You're a little bit more fearful because of your frailty, how you'll get to point A and B? Will someone take you there, pick you up? Is it crowded? Are people loud, right? like you say about my sermons, right? Just loud. As you get older, right, those things start to happen to us and Solomon's just stating the obvious. When you're young, you feel invincible. That I'm promised 95 years of life, long life. No, you're not. And as we get older, we realize we're not. He says the almond tree blossoms here. Almond trees, if you know much about them, know all you guys are studying these. Uh, they go to white and then they kind of blow away. So he's basically talking about as you age, you get white hair or no hair. 
in this room were a mixed bag, right? So some of you guys use product, right, to try and replenish it. He goes, no matter what you do, that's just the natural process of aging. He says the grasshopper drags, drags itself along. It's more difficult to move, to jump, to be agile. None of you guys are in the Olympics anymore. You're not doing the triple jump like you were in high school. Um, even my workout routine has changed. I was just talking to somebody this week where, man, I'm like, man, this, this is so much harder for me than it used to be. I was a meathead in college doing college athletics, and it was so easy and effortless. Now i got to really try. Like my stamina is not as good. It's just part of growing older. Um, he says, and desire fails. Eventually you're not interested in sex anymore. Now, some of you guys are like, that's crazy. Well, that's why there's a growing gold rush in the medical field to advance the in and out of the bedroom. You watch it on just commercials midday, right? How do we help that continue? That's part of the aging process. Solomon's just stating the obvious. And then he says this is why, because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. He says, remember your creator because you're headed to your eternal home. Like, that's fundamentally why we remember him, that this life is not all there is, that God is preparing a place for us, that there's a real eternity, a real new Jerusalem, a real new creation that God's going to inaugurate when he does away with this temporary life where there is singing and dancing and laughing and enjoyment and food and work, but you're never toiling, you're never hungry, you're not playing a harp with wings, you're not just gagaing at clouds, like, put that away from you. This is real physical reality, and that's coming for you. He goes, so if you know that God made you and you're headed to him in the way that he made a way for you in Christ, if you enjoy him and take his ransom on your behalf, then you've got stuff to look forward to, so invest your life for that. But if you don't, then you're headed to your eternal home that is damnation and not glorification. There's weightiness here. There's reality here that hell does exist, that eternal torment does exist, that eternal glory does exist, that Christ alone is the one who gets you to glory with God for the enjoyment of his name. And so we either have Christ or we don't have Christ at the end of the day. We either are enjoying him or we're not enjoying him at the end of the day. And that's why he says, remember your creator because the day of death is coming for you. But when we were young, it seems far away, and as you get older, it seems closer. Solomon's saying to the young, you're planning your life, I'm planning my death. You're buying your first house, I'm buying my last casket. The vision is totally different. So according to this text, he's saying, all we know is we've been given today, right? According to the text, really, all of us are young. If you're in this room listening to this sermon, you're young. Your heart's still beating. You still got blood in your veins. You still got oxygen in your lungs. You still got a mind that thinks. You still got arms and legs that move. So he's basically saying to us, guys, how are we using our life? All we know is what we've been given today. You've been one life, one set of teeth, one set of arms, one mind, one heart to lean into and enjoy God as deeply as possible while you have today. But some of us, he says, won't even make it to older age. Verse six, before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was so the spirit returns to God who gave it. Now Solomon's just getting brutally honest. 
Right, some of us think, okay, I'm promised 95 years. I realize this. I'm going to get older. My body's going to creak. My eyesight's going to dim. My hearing's going to be impaired. I realize there's going to be a time we're going to be sitting on the hospital bed, eating, sleeping, going to the bathroom, the same thing that I started out when I came into this world. He goes, no, hold on a second. Yes, that's the natural progression for humanity, but it might not be the natural progression for you. Remember what he's done now in Christ. Why? Because he gives all of these metaphors before your body breaks or dies before it dies of just old age. You could die from a broken spine, he says, a crushed skull, heart problems, failing veins and arteries. In his time, we all die. It's just a matter of when we die. And he says, when you die, your first earthly father, Adam, was born out of the dust. God formed him and made him, so you're going to return back to that dust, yet your spirit is going to return to the Lord, either for eternal glory or eternal separation. He's just reminding us of the reality of life. Our bodies are really on loan, and one day our creator is going to ask for them back. That's just the reality. Guys, do you realize, has that ever sunk into you that you're just on loan? That your life is on loan? You did not buy your own life, did you? I said this last week. You did not decide to create yourself, right? You didn't wake up out of nothing, and say, hmm, I think I want my mom and dad to conceive me, and then I'm going to come down the birth canal, and I'm going to be this age, this way, this color, this hair, these eyes. I mean, none of us did that. None of us had any authority in that. None of us had any charge in that. God says in his word, no, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I made you. I fashioned you. And I decided when you'd be born, and you're on loan until I call you home. That's a sobering word for us, is it not? So if that's true, how are we using our lives? So he says this in verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. This book started with that word, meaningless, emptiness, futile. He said it then 38, maybe 39 times. Now he's closing up the book saying it again. What is he trying to say to us? He's going, a life lived without ever understanding why it's here is futile and meaningless. Life moves so quickly. Our kids grow up so fast. Life moments pass. How many of us are sitting in this room and you feel like you blinked and your kids are married, grandchildren? Or you blinked and you're out of college considering vocation and work and life? Or you blinked and you're in high school? You blinked and you're raising your children, creating a family? establishing a home, trying to figure out life. Now we have to circle back to hear Solomon's plea. Remember your creator. Now in our day, remember is trivial. That has triviality to it. So remember for us means, hey, uh, remember to put your, I don't know, reminders in your phone. Or your day timer. Hey, remember to take out the garbage. Hey, remember to say hi to this person. Remember to call this person. Remember, remember. But this word in the Hebrew, remember, is amazing. It has weight to it. It's speaking to an active reliance, an active leaning into a conscious identity of someone or something. 
So you're not just acknowledging something or someone. That acknowledgement, that reality is causing you to get somewhere. It's causing you to not just say in theory, oh wow, uh, a creator God exists, but if he does exist and if Christ was the son of God, he did come in human flesh and did pay my debt for me and did rise giving me eternal life, then man, I need to lean into that truth and walk in that truth and engage in a conscious, identifying way. Because that's the only rational thing to do, is it not? Wouldn't that be silly if you said, I believe all that, I see all that, and walked no different and did nothing? He's saying, so do this now before your body gets too old or God takes you from this life before you have a chance. To remember the creator means to consider and to obey him. So what Solomon is saying is the answer, the solution to a meaningless life is remembering your creator. Now, here's how you can read this section then. Based upon the Hebrew and the way that he writes it, you can say, remember your creator before you can't see anymore. Remember your creator before your teeth fall out. Remember your creator before your skull breaks or your heart stops beating or your heart grows too cold where you don't want the things of God anymore. Remember him now. Because life is vanity without him. I mean, why go to work? Why endure suffering? Why to do anything? Why show love? Why care about your neighbor? Why dig water wells? Why care about curing cancer? Why do any of those things? We've covered all the reasons that are vain for believing in those things outside of the God of the universe. Outside of the Christian scriptures that teach about what God did in the face of Jesus Christ. We saw that. We have enjoyed that. And he's ending it the same way. He goes, I'm closing up this book. I'm done my philosophical rants. And I'm getting you back to the main thing. The main thing is there is a God who made you. And you need to aggressively know him and lean into him if this is true. So you find fullness of life here and now and fullness of life in eternity. Amazing what he's doing for us here. What he's saying He's going on pleading about eternal things, not trivial things, and eternity is much closer than the majority of us want to actually admit. So we fundamentally, how do we fundamentally remember our creator? By remembering Jesus. By seeing Jesus. We talked about this throughout the scriptures. If you want to see God, brothers and sisters, you look at Jesus. If you want to know what God says and what he sounds like, you look at Jesus Christ. Colossians is a beautiful portrayal of this, right? This is how we remember our creator. And I thought about this. Remember the Last Supper? I mean, what we observe right now, we don't observe the Last Supper. We observe the communion, the Lord's Supper that he gave to the church. Why do we do this? Because he said, when you take this, when you enjoy this, you're remembering me. What are we predominantly remembering? His person to work on the cross. You're remembering his broken body and his shed blood. So you remember your creator fundamentally by remembering and seeing the good news, the great gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the motivation. That's the fuel for your body that needs maintenance, that needs adjustment, that's deteriorating, that's growing, you know, increasingly dull in its memory and frailty. And it reminds you, it fuels you, it bursts you into what life is all about, why you're here, how you've been purchased, and where you're headed. You drive your mind, you drive your heart, you drive your soul into this great good news of what Jesus Christ did. So Solomon's coming full circle. He's saying the key to unlocking life is Jesus. The key to unlocking futility is Jesus. 
And look at what he says, and he's gonna, I'm gonna bring this full circle because we mentioned this in the first sermon. John writes to the Greek philosophers, and they're looking for meaning, they're looking for life, and they go, man, if we could just figure out what life is about, then I'd have meaning, then I'd have fuel, then I'd have purpose. What does John write out of the gate in verse one? He says this, he says, man, in the beginning was the word. Who's the word? Jesus. I love this, and the word was with God, Trinitarian God, and the word was God. He just gives you a full Christology in one sentence. In just verse one of John one, then he says, all things were made through him, that's Colossians language, and without him was not anything made that was made. Look at this, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. His literal life is what gives you light to see the goodness of God, to see the salvation of Christ. His life gives you real, actual life. Understand, if you're not a Christian, you're just living and breathing. You're not actually living. You're existing. We exist, but we're not living. And Christ alone takes the dead heart, dead mind, dead soul and says, come alive. Be freed from the futility of sin and the meaningless nature of enslavement to sin's system. You heard it testified to this morning. You can run that race as long as you want and you'll keep hitting the dead end. And you might stay in the cul-de-sac until God graciously pulls you out because of Christ. John is saying this word became flesh and dwelt among us. I love this, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John's saying Jesus is life. Jesus is meaning. Jesus is the truest form of reality. You remember him. You remember Christ. In Christ, he removes the futility from the soul and brings about meaning that you and I want to have and wish we could have this side of heaven. It's incredible Remembering your creator. This is Hebrews 12, is it not? The writer of Hebrews pleads with you and says, fix your eyes on Jesus. That literally means remember Jesus. Remember your creator. Jesus is creator with God. He was with God, Genesis 1, Trinitarian God. Let us make man in our own image. Let us make the moon, stars, and galaxies. Hebrews 1 reminds us and Colossians 1 reminds us that he made everything with God. Incredible. So here we see, fix your eyes on Jesus. Remember Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Now, why do we need to remember this? I mean, on the ground, why do I need to remember my creator? Why do I need to remember Jesus? There's an infinite number of reasons why. But just for sake of time and memory, one, when you have weak moments and you stumble and fall and you walk in the sin and the residual effects of the fall that still gnaw on your ankles, what do you remember? You remember that God never celebrated you. He always celebrates his son. And because of what his son has done, because of the Lord's supper that he gave, we're reminded of his person and work that he did for us, that in his death we died too. In his life we were raised newness of life. And he removes the futility, opens our eyes to glory that is the word that was seen as God, and he shows us the path to life. 
This happens as we see him. And he's the author, Hebrews says, and the finisher. So there's no boasting. There's no, great, I finally did it. There's no, I trusted in Jesus. I fixed my eyes on him. And then I get good at this game called Christianity. So now I can just kind of do my own thing now. No, it is you remember your creator until God takes you or you hit dust. It's amazing. This is why you can read just Paul's letters, right? Outside, I think, 2 Corinthians, every letter he writes, he's saying, hey, you've heard this gospel, you've believed this gospel, guess what? I'm going to remind you of this gospel. The majority of your New Testament, why does he do that? Because he knows that's the fuel, that's the maintenance for your body and your soul and your spiritual health. You've got to remember what Christ has done every single day, which is why every Sunday we gather, we say, hey, let's remember him in taking the supper, you got to put horse blinders on. You, you ever seen horses with the blinders like in New York City that pull the carriages? You know why they wear the blinders? They start looking right and left, man. They go nuts. I've seen it. I've actually been in a carriage when that happened. Terrifying. That's the imagery, man. You don't let the condemnation of the enemy, you don't let the assault of spiritual forces, you got your horse blinders on and you remember your creator, you remember the brevity of life, you remember death is imminent, that eternity is long, that life is at stake, that sin is real and aggressive and you drive your mind into the creator God in the face of Jesus Christ every single moment of every single day. You don't move on, you don't stall out, you progressively move that way with community, with prayer, sitting under the word, through the fellowship of the saints. We do this until God says you're coming back with me or he returns again. That's the plea of Solomon. He goes, you believe me? Okay, now drive your mind there. You believe that's true? You believe that's really now the only way to find fullness of life? Then do this. Why does all this matter? Because it's the only thing that redeems our broken way of thinking. It's the only thing that makes our crooked attempts at finding life straight. It's all the language of Solomon throughout this entire memoir wrapped up at the end going, the only thing that's going to do any of that is Jesus Christ, your creator. Remember him. Remember what he's done. Remember how he's purchased you. Now, where does that lead us? Ephesians chapter 1. I'm not, I don't have it on the screen. I just want to read it. And I want us to end with some thoughts about this. Because this, brothers and sisters, when Solomon says, remember your creator, I almost feel like he's saying, read Ephesians 1. Like, literally do this. Now, you could read any letter, you could read any part of the Bible and you could do this, but I'm just going to read it and then say a few thoughts and give us two reasons this matters, okay? So let's just read this. Ephesians 1, go down to verse 3. He, here, if you're a Christian, he's going to say, this is what you need to remember. This is what you remember about you and about what he's done. Uh, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, sermon on just text 3. You've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ because of what he has done based upon nothing you've done. You're a recipient of the riches of God. Okay, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. I love this. He chose you, saved you, not to just leave you, but grow you in the image of his son. This was last week. 
right? We're saved not to not put sin to death. We're saved to continue to mortify the sin that resides in our body because we realize it's crouching at our door. It seeks to devour and destroy. Yet God seeks to continue to liberate us and free us. This is amazing. Verse five, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's just a big word for sins. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. I love when people say, I just don't know his will. And other times you're like, wow, I discovered his will. No, you didn't discover it. He let you see it. I love it. He says, he made known to you this mystery, this foggy Christ, glorious, good, helpful, meaning, futility. That makes no sense to me. He goes, light bulb on, dead corpse alive. Hey, you're going to see it now. You're going to enjoy it now. You're going to walk in it now. The Christian has no other plea than that. It's great news. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, verse 9, making known to us this mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in who? Christ Jesus. It centers on him, all of this. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, verse 11, in him, that's in Jesus Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, right? Our bodies are on loan. He tells us when we perish and when we come and when we go so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth. Some of you guys heard the word of truth four weeks ago when he made you alive. Some of you are hearing the word of truth this morning. You don't know why you keep returning even though everything I say offends you. You know what the scriptures say? That's God calling you. That's God bringing you to himself. Why? I love this. The gospel of your salvation and believed in him and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here's what I find so challenging, humbling, and irritating all at the same time. If you're like me, in my prayer life, I constantly say, God, give me strength today. Give me peace today, right? Are you with me in that? Is that a familiar prayer? Give me courage. Give me endurance. Give me perseverance. Give me, I pray that all the time. And I forget that I'm a little bit insane because I'm asking for things that are already fully mine. So James 1 will say, no, it's wiser to ask for wisdom. So Galatians 5 says we walk in the Spirit. He talks about the fruits of the Spirit. So here's how we need to pray. First off, okay? God, help me to walk in the strength you've already provided. Like, like help me to walk in the freedom I already have in Christ. Help me to walk in the peace that is already fully mine. You're not withholding from me, right? 
Serious. I mean, we play this game where there's, there's some of you and some of him. So until I finally like, you know, gain the peace that I'm trying to get and then I finally get his, then I'll be walking right. No, it's, it's all fully his that he gives you every spiritual blessing. All of those things are things Christ alone secures for you and gives you when he adopts you in his family that makes you alive in the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? He is your life. So we remember our creator. We remember the things he's already given us and promised us so we can walk in freedom every single day. God, help me to walk in the strength that's absolutely already mine in Jesus Christ. Help me to absolutely walk in the courage to put to death sin with the help of the Holy Spirit today because it's absolutely mine. You've changed my heart. You've transcended my mind. The Christian life, guys, is the process of becoming who you already are. That's what it means to be a Christian. You're just continuing to become who God already made you to be. And in glory, he fully finishes it. And while we're here in the already not yet, he progressively continues it. So, why does this matter? Two reasons. And there's so many, guys. And you can send me your list this week. Here's two. Remember your creator because we are trained and discipled from birth to chase anything and everything that provides us greater self-esteem and greater sense of worth and identity. You are discipled and trained from birth to desire worth, to desire value, right? Who doesn't want it? I mean, everyone's going, yeah. I want someone to say, yeah, you're a value. You matter. We all do. We all want that. If you say you don't, you're lying, okay, through your teeth. So here, here's what he's getting at. When you understand and remember your creator and Ephesians 1 is laid upon your heart, Hebrews 12 is clicking in your mind. He goes, this is basically to free you from all the ways you try to find your worth and your meaning, which is all vanity apart from the work of his son. And so listen, some of us are gonna look for it in ethnicity. Some of us are gonna look for it in our vocation. Some of us are gonna look for it in a job promotion. Some are going to look for it in our works of righteousness. Man, I want to do this and do this and do this so people see me and praise me. You'll find countless ways trying to want to earn worth and I'm telling you no, 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 no. Those are not where you find the answer. That's not where you're going to find it. You remember your creator. That's the answer to everything. A life of meaning. You remember what he is and what he's done and what he has been for you in Christ. You could not do any of those things. Your identity, your worth, your value, he just showed you is wrapped up solely in what Christ did. And here's what's mind-boggling. He did it before the, the foundation of the world was laid, before the streams were rippling, before waters were formed. He laid affections on you unconditionally and said, I'm going to love you, die for you, save you, rise for you. Not because you're awesome, not because you're cute, not because you have a good 401k, not because you're committing less sins than somebody else, not because you attend church more. Nothing solely based upon what I have done alone. So you're the freest man in the universe in your identity and security because it's wrapped up in the heavenly realm, not here. You're headed there anyway, so why worry about it now? Solomon is pleading with us to remember these things. Can I get an amen? Thank you. This is where he wants your heart to go. This is where he wants all of us. That's what this Sunday morning is, a reminding ourselves, a remembering that's what it is. When we pray together, it's a remembering. When we walk in growth groups together, it's a remembering. When we walk together in prayer and fellowship and service and mission, it's all a remembering these things and wanting other people to partake 
in these things so they can too remember how kind he is. Listen, you don't need more psychology to understand your sense of wealth. You don't need more philosophy. You do not need a new job. You do not need a new family. You do not need a spouse. You do not need anything to give yourself the worth and identity and meaning that is solely found in Jesus Christ. Back to John 1. He is life. He is life. Second thing, and then we're done. We need to remember our creator so that as we walk through pain and suffering and plight and difficulty, you remember that God never saved you and rescued you to destroy you. Here's what's beautiful. If you've walked through any difficulty in your life, and if you haven't yet, maybe it's next week, maybe it's next month, but just where the universe is not aligned and you realize it's fracture, you realize it's decay, you realize it's imperfections, you realize the damage of sin, right? You're walking in that place. If you know and you remember your creator, that he forgave you of sin, made you his own, adopted you into his family, purchasing you solely through the work of Christ, that Revelation will say your name was in his book before eternity was made, then he did not do all of that to you to then somehow destroy you. He rescued you so that in the suffering and pain and plight, he would be the very thing that continues to sustain you and keep you until you're with him in glory. Like he wants to drive your mind into Jesus Christ regardless of what you face. So in the springtime days and winter months, he wants your mind remembering the creator. Because he wants more of Christ to be in you. So in those dark seasons, you remember your creator. He didn't purchase me and save me and throw his love on me to then destroy me. I mean, he did that before there was any suffering or pain in your human soul or in your heart or in your eyes or anything that you saw. He did that so that when you would walk in the frailty of life, you would even again remember your creator and enjoy him more and lean into him more. Remembering that Jesus Christ suffered for you and endured death for you so you wouldn't have to endure the torment of his wrath, the torment of his judgment, and he secured you in the heavenly place for eternity. So to say Jesus suffered so we wouldn't have to is crazy. He didn't suffer so you wouldn't have to. He suffered so that when you do, you'd be made more like him. Right? Now there's meaning in suffering. If you don't have that, you don't have meaning in your suffering. You don't. You have a cosmic killjoy and you have deities that exist for their own gain and out of no personal love for you. Listen, some of you maybe believe that you could trust your thoughts, trust that right and wrong matter and good works are fruitful, but you don't tie that to the God of the universe. And the scriptures will say, then you're just using him. You're still using him. You're still enjoying his creation. Don't use him and ignore him. Turn to him and worship him. Let's ask God to help us to remember him. God, thank you that you're a God that allows us to remember you. I pray right now you would even give us thoughts about your character, about your gospel, about your salvation in Christ that would nourish us richly today that we would remember that our deepest sense of assurance in anything is tied to the only true source of life, which is Jesus Christ. 
And would you remind those of us who are walking in challenge, walking in a difficult day, that you have not laid your unconditional love upon us to destroy us, but to shape us. It's not punitive, it's formative. That we still have the deepest of assurance that you are a man who took our sorrows and griefs and bore them in his own body for the sake of sinners to be made new in the likeness of yourself. Not as yourself, but likeness of yourself. Father, would you help us as a people to be a people that remember Jesus, that remember our creator, and God, that as we grow older, our remembering would grow more frequent. That God, you would help us to live Christian lives that are aggressive and forward moving and not standing still. Would your Holy Spirit prompt some of us this morning to get up off the couch and chase you with all of our might and remember you with all of our mind and enjoy you with all of our soul and strength. And fathers, we observe the Lord's Supper remembering what you told us to do, that we should be taking this as a way to remember what you've done in your person and work. Would you nourish us right now with the saving benefits of your broken body and your shed blood that purchased us into a kingdom that is forever standing and never fading. And God, those who do not know you cannot remember you because they are not yours. I pray that you bring them to a place of repentance and faith. I pray they cry out to you this morning. They would plead for forgiveness of sin and hear you say, those who come to me, I will not cast out. Those who turn from their sin and turn to me and find salvation in my name alone through faith alone can be made mine and can receive every spiritual blessing that we've just heard. Make some more people yours today. In Jesus' name, amen.